announcements today before we uh, begin with our call of worship. Offerings, there are two offering boxes, one at the back of the sanctuary, and then the other is next to the bookstall in the back. Benevolence offering, this Sunday is the last Sunday of the month uh, when we collect a benevolence offering on this day to help those in need within our congregation and the community. There will be uh, green envelopes at the Welcome Center and by the offering box in the back. Uh, Men's Bible study, Every Saturday from 7.30 a.m. to 9 a.m., the men gather to uh, go through the uh, book of Matthew. It's been a blessing in my life, and if you uh, men haven't had time to come out to that, I would really encourage you uh, to come and to fellowship with us. Uh, There's the uh, members' annual meeting. Um, It was going to be at 5 p.m. tonight, but instead we are going to um, just be voting, I think, for the budget uh, right after the church service in here. So if you're a member, please uh, hang out a little longer. And then I believe, I could be mistaken, but I think the actual members meeting was moved to September 19th, I believe. That's good? All right, just double checking. All right, uh, upcoming adult Bible fellowship classes between, uh, beginning on September 12th. Um, in the fellowship hall, Amos McLeaf will be teaching a series entitled, How to Study the Bible as Instructed in the Bible. Um, in the copier room, which is going to be uh, right over there, um, I will be teaching a series entitled Apologetics and the Apostolic Fathers, which will be about uh, understanding what the early church proclaimed about foundational doctrines such as the divinity and humanity of Christ and the nature of grace. And then lastly, um, in the cornerstone room, uh, which is in the hallway, the last room there on the left, um, will be t- uh, Ken Bradley will be teaching on a subject yet to be determined. Um, and then um, a couple more announcements. Yesterday was our children's ministry workshop. Uh, if you are interested in serving in children's ministry, there are interest forms at the Welcome Center. Uh, please give them to Mark Hall if you have filled them out. Um, and then next Sunday, due to it being the uh, fifth Sunday, um, no children's church due to it being the fifth Sunday. Um, and then lastly, I'm trying to read this handwriting here. Uh, and then uh, it was sent out by an email, but uh, this Sunday, and I believe the next, there will be uh, no communion or passing of the peace. Okay. And with that, I want to turn your attention to the Word of God as we uh, begin our call to worship here. It comes from Isaiah chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. Hear the Word of the Lord. Then you will say on that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for although you were angry with me, your anger is turned away. And you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. Therefore, you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. And in that day, you will say, give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Make them remember that his name is exalted. Praise the Lord in song, for he has done excellent things. Let this be known throughout the earth. Cry aloud and shout for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Let us pray. Lord God, you are indeed the Holy One of Israel, Lord. Your holiness is unfathomable. 
And Lord, we come here today with humble hearts to praise and adore you for who you are and for what you have done, Lord. I pray that you will pour your spirit out upon your people, Lord, that we may praise you and worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, remind us of the truths of the gospel, Lord, that you sent your only son into this world to live a life that none of us could ever live and to die the death that each one of us deserves, Lord, so that you would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for all the blessings that you have given us in giving us salvation, Lord. You say in John chapter 17 that you love us with the very love that you have for our son. And it is unfathomable that us who are sinners, who deserve nothing but your judgment, have been given grace upon grace without measure because of the sacrifice and love of your son. Lord, we thank you for these things and we pray your spirit would encourage us and help us to worship you rightly today and from the depths of our hearts and not merely from our lips. We ask for all these things in your name. Amen. Now please stand as we begin to praise our Lord and God. There we go. Okay. Technical difficulties. Right. <laughs> One more time. The splinter of the king, in majesty, let all the earth rejoice, all the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light. Above all names, 
There will be 
sweet portion there. Amen. Please be seated. What a beautiful chorus we just sang. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. So that's what we're going to do this morning. I uh, just want to give you a brief update on Pastor Dave, if you heard, maybe. Pastor Dave has been admitted to the hospital this morning due to his um, battle with COVID. But the uh, encouraging news is that he's already reached back out to Darcy to let her know that he's feeling better already. So praise God for his care for his sheep. Um, As you know, others in our church are also suffering from COVID. So it's been kind of a, a couple of weeks for us with these trials. And so I wanted to take this opportunity this morning in our prayer for unity to also make it a prayer for unity in prayer for those who are battling through this. Um, Skip and Donna and I, we also have a neighbor who was rushed to the hospital Friday evening and has also been able to relay that he is feeling better. Uh, Amos McLeese and family, as we know, another one of our elders is dealing with COVID. Uh, And I'm sure you know more other folks outside of Green Run who are dealing with COVID. So I want to take this opportunity not only to lift up our own folks, uh, Pastor Dave, Amos, and their families, but uh, just to pray that as we go through these trials that we are not ever discouraged because our Lord loves us. He cares for us. And as Jesus said, numerous times your faith has healed you and so we pray for faith through God who gives it to us freely that our faith may heal us Um, so the the scripture for the prayer for unity this morning is from Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 through 3 therefore I the prisoner of the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let us pray. Uh, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, Lord. Let us understand the chasm that is between you and us, Lord. You are holy. You are sovereign over all things, Lord. And the smallest things seem to tilt our lives. But Lord, let us trust in you. Let us trust in the the saving grace that you provide through the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, the, the healing power that comes from your word, your will. Lord, we pray for Pastor Dave this morning as he's been admitted to the hospital. But Father, already you've encouraged us. You've calmed our discouragement. 
So let us lift him up to you in prayer, Lord, our brother and our elder, Amos McLeese and his family. Father, let us lift him up. Let us lift up all of our brothers and sisters at Green Run who are being challenged with these trials. Lord, let their faith not waver. Let their families be at peace through this trial, Lord. Carry us, Father, for we are not of ourselves able to come through this without the grace and the mercy that is brought to us through the Spirit, Lord. Bless us with your Spirit that we may unite in prayer for one another, that we might unite in prayer for our community. And Lord, as so many um, things are popping up with COVID again, Father, that we might see through all the veil of politics and just care for one another. Just care and call upon you, Father, for your intervention, the intercession of Jesus Christ, not only for our health here on this earth, but for our salvation, our eternal health. Lord, guide us that we might be Christ-like in our care for one another, Father. We pray these things, and we pray it be your will for all of these people to come through, Father, and to glorify your name for the, the healing of their bodies here so that they may spread the word throughout the world, starting here at Green Run, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. If you are able, uh, please stand as we continue to worship this morning. of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt, yonder on Calvary's mount outpour, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilled, grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within, grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is great. Despair like the sea waves cold, thread in the soul with infinite loss. Grace that is greater, yes, grace untold, points to the refuge, the mighty cross. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Dark is the stain that we cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Look, there is flowing a crimson tide. Whiter than snow you may be today. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, freely bestowed by all who believe. You that are longing to see His face, will you this moment His grace receive? 
Good morning. Please be seated. One of the best ways to ensure unity in the truth is to, both individually and as a body of believers, reflect upon the truths that we see in Scripture, whether that's saying passages of Scripture together or reciting one of the creeds. That's why we do our affirmation of faith every Sunday. Our affirmation of faith for this Sunday is going to be coming out of 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. The verses will be behind me on the screen or they'll be in your bulletin. Now please read along with me as we affirm our faith together. Indeed, all who want to live in a godly way in Christ, Jesus will be persecuted. But evil people and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and beneficial for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be fully capable, equipped for every good work. In the bulletin, it says we'll be passing the peace, but since we're suspending that for this week, we'll go straight into the scripture reading for this morning. Good morning. As was mentioned earlier, but I want to mention again, due to our fifth Sunday, there is no children's church. It is always a joy to keep our children in in service on, on fifth Sundays. Now, if you would, would you stand for the reading of God's word? I'm reading from Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and I'm reading from the ESV. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They're to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Your word is true. What an honor it is to be able to open up your word and 
and preach from it. And Lord, I ask this morning that your people will hear what you have to say. Ask that your words will be heard clear. That your people will be edified, that you will be glorified. That those who don't know you would hear your word and then seek to obey it, repenting of their sins and putting their trust in you. Father, we pray all these things and in the name of your son. Amen. All right, you may be seated. So we're continuing our series in, in Titus. We began in Titus 2, verse 1, and we taught about what sound doctrine is. And the last three sermons, or the last two sermons after that, we have been teaching what accords with sound doctrine. First, dealing with the older men, and last week we dealt with the older women. As we look at this text, we'll be mostly we'll be dealing directly. I read verses one through ten, but we're dealing directly with verses four and five. As we look at this text, I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say that these two verses before us are hated in our culture. What I'm preaching this morning is the very essence of countercultural preaching. Everything in this passage goes against the grain of the pattern of this world. In a culture that encourages women to love whoever they want, to murder their unborn children, to see caring for the home as degrading and unfulfilling, and to view submission to their husbands as oppressive, this is the last thing that many want to hear. Especially those who have been swept up by the lies of radical feminism. And as I said last week, much of this, or, some, or at least some of this unbiblical thinking, has crept inside the church, and the church as a whole. Young women, this type of calling, it's not popular, it's mocked, and it goes against everything the world is telling you of how you should be. But I want to encourage you this morning. I want to encourage you that there is much in these verses to delight in. There's much to delight in. If you seek to obey them, they will bring you great joy and fulfillment. Don't listen to the lies of the world. And I, I, I trust, I trust, and it's my desire that you will leave edified with what the word of God has to say to you this morning. I ended last week's sermon with an encouragement to the older women of this church to be praying and seeking out younger women who they can train and teach what the word of God has to say by, both by word and deed and for the younger women to start praying and looking for mentors to teach them. But what are they exactly to teach? What are the specifics that Paul is calling young women to? It's not glamorous. It's not glamorous to the world, but it is glorious to God. It is glorious in the sight of God. So what does he call it? Called them to do? Calls older women, I mean older women to train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. Why? So that the word of God may not be reviled. 
So looking at the text, verse 4, said, it says, and so train the young women. So train the young women. This word train in the Greek, it means to be, it means to cause to be of sound mind. That young women would be trained in self-discipline and wisdom. That they would think rightly and biblically about how they are to live within the home as a testimony to an unbelieving world. And as far as young women, Paul has in mind, we talked about this last week with the older women, that they were 60 and above or past their childbearing years. And here he's addressing mainly those who are within the childbearing years, raising children or under, likely under about the age of 60. Now, it is important to mention that God has not called all women to be married. Not all women will have children. And again, that is what this, that is who Paul is mainly addressing. But I think there is much here for, if you fall in that category, for you to glean from as well. But what are they trained, what are they to be trained in? Continuing verse 4 says, so train the young women to love their husbands and children. To love their husbands and children. And if you're like most people, this verse might give you some pause at first. Because you might say, well, is, is it not natural is it not natural for women to love their children, to automatically love their husbands? Well, if we're wondering, this is likely because we have been bombarded with a false view of love. And in our, in our society, love is almost purely feelings-based. It, it, it kind of goes with the wind. You can fall in love and you can fall out of love. And, and it is not your fault. It's not your fault because love is some kind of impersonal force that controls you. But as we see in the text, this understanding of love was foreign to the biblical authors. It was foreign to Paul. Otherwise, he would not have said that this is something that women can learn how to do. Now, is there, is there passion in love? Is there, is there feelings? Is there emotion? Yes, of course. Of course. And, and those things are good. But if our understanding of love stops there, if it stops there, then we're in a lot of trouble. As many of you women know, it's not always easy to love your husbands. It's not always easy to feel like loving your children. So you better have a correct understanding of what love is. So what is the correct understanding of love in this context? So when I first approached this text, I automatically assumed that, this, that the word Paul is using here is, is, an, is an agape love. And that is the sac- the, that self-sacrificial love. It's the highest form of love. It's the type of love that God has for his children. The type of love that, that calls Christ to sacrifice himself on the cross, dying for those who are his enemies, but by nothing good of their own. It's that self-sacrificial love. It's that love that we find in Ephesians 5 where husbands are to sacrifice themselves for their wives, to give up their very lives. Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. And what did he do? He gave himself up for her. It's that self-sacrificial love. But agape is not the word that Paul uses in verse 4. Not that wives should not have an agape love for their husbands and their children. All Christians should, should seek to have an agape love. But when speaking of, of young women loving their husbands, he uses the word philandro, and it literally means husband lover. That young women are to be affectionate 
and, and tender towards their, their husbands. It denotes friendship, it, uh, kindness rather than, rather than coldness, intimacy rather than apathy, basically, or apathy. Basically, wives should like their husbands. Should like their husbands, if you want to put it in, in more simple terms. But you are to love your husband, you are to love him as your closest neighbor. Because remember, what does the Bible say? Love your neighbor as yourself. And if you're married, your closest neighbor is your husband. And you're not only physically one flesh, but mentally and spiritually as well. You, you are, in, in some way, you are one soul with your husband. When Adam, when Eve was, was, um, was created from Adam, he said, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. It's a, a special bond. But some might be saying, what if I have a husband who is difficult to love, who is difficult to show affection or, or kindness to? A husband who is not living out what, what God has said he is to do. That's hard. That, that, is, that is hard. It's not easy. Many things in the Christian life are hard, by the way. But what do you do? What are you to do? I would say first you remember the high value that God has placed on marriage. The high value that God has placed on marriage and what it represents. Marriage is to be a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when people look at you, they are to see the gospel. They are to see the gospel as two sinners. If, if both are saved, it's two sinners coming together, saved by grace, growing in Christ's likeness together. And with the gospel, with those things in mind, then you obey the commandments of God. You obey the commandments of God. Whatever good you're doing, you do it more. You become more loving. You become more kind. You become more gentle, more serving. You seek more wisdom from from the older godly women in the church. I want to continue to emphasize that that the older women, you're to be training the young women. Training the young woman to love, to love even when it's, when it's both easy and, and when it's hard. And as you can do these things, you pray and you pray and you pray. You go before your heavenly father, you enter into his throne of grace. And if your heavenly, I mean, if your earthly father being evil gives you good things, how much more your heavenly father? He hears you. He hears you. And yes, yes, you, you do these things because you are learning to love your husband. And you, if your husband, if, you know, like I said, if your husband is not one who is, who is living in such a way as God has called him to do, you desire for him to change. But ultimately, who are you doing it unto? It's unto the Lord. It's unto Christ. You're living for his glory. So you're loving your husband as unto the Lord, not unto man. For who do you serve? The Lord Christ. You serve the Lord Christ. So young women, outdo your husband in love. Show affection towards him. Look for ways to show him love, respect. And, and, and then husbands respond. Husbands respond. I, I would say as far, I would go as far as to say husbands lead in this. We already read Ephesians 5.25, how you to sacrificially love your wife. You lead in these things, and then it makes it easier 
It'll make it easier for your wife to respond in a loving way towards you. Next it says, older women are to train younger women how to love their children. It's the same Greek word again, the word for for love, and here it means children lovers. Only second to their husband, I say that because a wife is one flesh with her husband. We're not, you're not one flesh with your children. But only second to their husbands, women are to be completely devoted to their children. This is, again, an affectionate type of love. A tender, a caring, a nurturing, a nurturing love. is. It, the word also carries with it a special type of friendship. A, a special bond that only a, a mother can have for her child. So older women, how are you to teach the young women to love their children? I'm sure there's plenty of more, more I could have said on this, but I, I came up with three applications or, or three ways. Number one, teach them that children are a special gift from the Lord. That children are a special gift from the Lord. And in the world that teaches that children are a burden as well as a hindrance to, to life aspirations to a point where women are encouraged, again, as I said earlier, to murder them before they're even born. I can't even begin to hit on the height of wickedness that that is, but I'll avoid going on a tangent. But in this type of world, this is a must to teach women that this is a, that children are a special gift. Psalm 127, 3 through 5. Behold, Children are a heritage from the Lord, a a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. The fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are children of one's youth. There is joy. There is joy in the raising of children. There is joy, even even the hardship that comes with it. And I don't have children, obviously, but... There, there, is, there can be hardship that comes with the raising of children, but it's, all of it is still a joy, no matter what the world says. Number two, I love this one. Teach them the scriptures. Teach them the scriptures. Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them. So first, before I continue, so first it's in your own heart. It's ingrained within your own mind, within your own heart. And as you're filling yourself, then you begin to teach your children. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Consistently, constantly teaching your children the word of God, teaching Christ all the way from Genesis to Revelation. All the amazing stories that, that the Bible has. We, whatever Hollywood or, any, or, any other, or anybody else can create, it does not hold a candle to what is in the Bible. We read about stories like David and Goliath. We, we, have, we have Samson. 
We have the walls of Jericho being crumbled by the mighty hand of God. And then we have and then there's so much more. And it all culminates in the person of Jesus Christ rising from the dead in victory, defeating death, defeating Satan. And then it doesn't even stop there. It, it ends with him coming back, defeating all of his enemies and taking back his church, to, his bride to be with him. It does not get any better than that. It does not get any better than that. What can be more loving? What can be more loving than raising your children in the fear and instruction of the Lord? Young women, God has instructed you in raising the next godly generation. Those of you who have children, you are, instruct, you are entrusted with raising the next godly generation. Children who will grow into men and women who will advance the kingdom of God. I'm not sure if I can think of a higher calling. And while we see throughout scripture that fathers are to be the primary disciples of their children, much teaching is to be carried out by mothers. Young women who are mothers, and I also want to say, those of you who work in, who serve in, in children's ministry, many of you who are young women as well, you're coming alongside parents, teaching them the word of God. You teach catechisms, you teach great truths about God derives, derived from the scriptures. You together with parents and specifically mothers, you're on the front line. Mothers, you're on the front line of the battlefield. You're in the front line of the battlefield because there is a battle. There is a battle for the minds of children. I don't want to go on a tangent, but I remember, and I love te- I love teaching in in the public school when I was a sub there. But I was grieved by a lot of the stuff that, that was being taught to children there. But you're on the front line of the battlefield. Again, there's a, a battle for the minds of children in this culture, and you wielding the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, many times is the only thing that's in the way. Teaching your children the Scriptures. And then three, older women, you can help teach the younger women how to discipline their children well. I won't say much on this except for to read what the scripture has to say. Proverbs 13, 24, it says, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs 22:15 says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. And then Proverbs 29, 15 The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. So as we can see, it is unloving to not discipline your children. Really, the only thing I have to say on this is that when you discipline a child, you are acting as your heavenly father who disciplines us. And he does it in love. He does it in love. Because I'm sure it can be easy to discipline children in anger, but we are to do it in love and always pointing back to the gospel. What a perfect opportunity, just finding ways to point 
children back to the gospel when they need discipline. But there, there is much more that can be said for older women. Come alongside younger women, teaching them to love their husbands and children. Again, both in word and deed. It's that informal way that we talked about last week. That informal way of getting in one another's lives and teaching them. Paul continues in verse 5, he says, next, that younger women are to be self-controlled. Be self-controlled. This means they are to be sensible or right in their thinking. Sensible or right in their thinking. And of course, right thinking ultimately leads to right living, which is, uh, which is the context. We live with, of course, the sound doctrine. But as I taught earlier in the series on, on self-control, because it also had this same encouragement for older men, but young women practice self-control, again, as I said before, by being spirit-controlled. By being spirit-controlled, walking in the spirit so you will not gratify the lusts of the flesh. The kind of desires that can lead to you not being pure as Paul says you are to be. That's what he says next. He says you are to be self-controlled, pure. The word for pure means that young women are to be innocent, clean, proper, or modest in all aspects of life. In all aspects of life. And we hit on modesty some last week, but in this context, Paul is speaking of a, the, more of the sexual purity of young women and, and probably faithfulness to their husbands. So again, as I said, this word for pure also means modesty or discreetness. Discreetness in, in, in what we wear. Again, we touched on that last week. But what I said was we're to be seeking to bring attention not to ourselves, but to Christ. To be known, young women are to be known for good works rather than the clothing they wear, whether it be improper or overly extravagant. And older women are to be training younger women in these things. And of course, not in any legalistic way. Not in any legalistic way. We're not trying to add burdens to anybody that the scripture does not say. But training one another to be both holy, inward, and outward. Then we get to what I believe is the most controversial part of this text, at least in our day. It says that younger women are to be working at home. And in the Greek, this literally means that both the words that use is dwelling or home or household. And then the other word, which is ergon, it means to be at work or employed. Now, first, what does this not mean? What does this not, not mean? I do not believe that this means that a wife cannot work outside of the home. So don't, nobody leave here and saying that, that Mark said it was a sin for, for a woman to have a job or something like that. I did not say that. That is, that is beyond scripture, in my opinion. But what, I, what this is saying, what this is saying is that the care of the home is a woman's and primarily a wife's priority. A wife's priority. And I would say whatever a wife does outside of the home is never to take precedence over the care of her home. 
I think I can go as far to say that if a woman does not care for her home, a wife does not care for her home and neglects it, that is an affront. It is an affront against God. Now, I, I want to be careful here. No two situations are going to look alike. No two situations are going to look alike, and we have to be careful how we judge one another. How each one cares for their home is going to be different, is going to look different, and husbands and wives have to figure out exactly what that is going to look like for their family as you all faithfully work through Scripture. We also do understand Paul is dealing with an ideal situation here, but we also do understand that there are single mothers who cannot take care of the, or cannot care for the affairs of the home as well as they probably would like. Also, I don't want to get off topic here, but that is also an opportunity for the church to be praying for single mothers and seeking ways to help them. First Timothy, I believe, gives us some guidance on this, especially when there's, there's not family members to help widows and, and I believe those who are single mothers, when there's not family members that are willing or, or able to help that the church should seek ways to come in and, and help them. But my point is to say this. My point is to say this. I want to, that God desires that young women and older women, as, and older women as well, are to love their home. They're to love their home. And if, and if not, if the younger women are not loving their home, then the older, more mature women are to come alongside and teach them how to love their home. God's desire is for women to make their homes their castle, their domain, their sanctuary, where, where she pours her life into. Young women, the home is the dwelling place, is the dwelling place of God's, or one of God's most sacred institutions, the family. The family. Being a worker at home is a sacred honor. It's, it's of great value. Again, the world is, is lying. They're saying the very opposite of this. The very opposite. And while the husband, uh, we believe, as the scriptures clearly teach, is the head of the home, the wife, I would say, runs the affairs of the household. And I, I want to also say this. I believe that a wife who is efficiently managing their household, who is running it well, they, are, they delegate work to their husbands. And if you have children, you delegate it to them as well. I don't see anything in Scripture. Some, might, some may try to argue. But I can't find anything in Scripture that says a, a husband cannot help his wife in the home. In fact, I would say that a husband who sacrificially loves his wife is always trying to find ways to help her in whatever way he can. Whatever way he can, that can be cooking, that can be cleaning, that can be, hey, I'm going to take, take the kids for tonight. It can be anything. But again, the woman, the world is going to tell you that this is oppressive, that this working at home is, is, is unfulfilling. It's unfulfilling. As I've said before, don't believe the lies. Don't believe the lies and don't allow the world to rob you of your joy. Don't allow the world to rob you of your joy. Do you really think God, do you really think that the God who loves you so much 
that he died for you is then is going to command you to do something in the scripture that is going to be inherently oppressive. On the contrary, on the contrary, he knows what's best for you. He knows what's best for your family. He knows what's most fulfilling. Especially you as an unbelieving, I mean, as a believing woman, woman, and in what I would call an upside down world where everything has been flipped on its head. Including this. But find your joy, find your joy in what God has called you to do. Find your joy in what God has called you to do. Find, find joy in, 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 decorating, in decorating your home. Find joy in that. Not only for your family, but then it, it, it creates many opportunities to, to show hospitality. Now, if your home is not the best, de- best decorator or something like that, doesn't mean you shouldn't be showing hospitality. But I think you can get the point. But you find joy in, in raising godly children, who we said earlier will be advancing the kingdom of God. Find joy in being a helpmate to your husband and edifying him. Find joy in seeking to be a Proverbs 31 woman. So if you would, if you would turn for me to Proverbs with me in Proverbs 31. Honestly, I'm not sure if I'm going to read the entirety of it or not. We'll see. <laughs> I at least want to read some of the highlights of it. By the way, this does not seem like a woman who is oppressed or lacks fulfillment or anything like that. But chapter 31, looking at verse 10, it says, an excellent wife who can find an excellent wife who can find she is far more precious than jewels she is far more precious than jewels the heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain she does him good and not harm all the days of her life she seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands she is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and, and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and, and buys it. With the fruit of her hand, she plans a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives in, that her merchandise is, is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the the, to the, the stab in her hands hold the spindle. She, open, she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing. And she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. 
Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. That is a godly, biblical woman. And while we shouldn't burden ourselves, or young women should not burden themselves with being perfect or being able to fully do all these things, this is the type of woman that God is calling you to be. What you might say, Mark, you're, you're telling me how, how great all of this is and how, how fulfilling it is, but I'm doing or at least attempting to do all these things that the scriptures are calling me to do. And I don't feel this way. I'm not feeling fulfillment or anything, some, maybe anything even close to that. Well, I think the first question you might want to ask yourself, you might want to examine your heart. I think at first to see if you are content in what God has called you to do. Are you listening too much to the lies of the world? You may want to or, or, or need to do some heart examination. But I also... Also, this, this is not always going to be easy. You're going to fail. A lot of times, you're going to feel overwhelmed. You're going to clean the house, and your children are going to tear it completely up. And then you might snap, but then you have to restrain yourself because you're not supposed to punish in anger. You're not always going to feel fulfilled. In fact, many times it may feel unfulfilling as you go through what I call, or many may call, the mundane things of life. But what I do know is this. What I do know is this. The word of God does not turn void. The word of God does not turn void. And it's going to sanctify you. That's what it's going to do for certain. If you're in Christ, it is going to sanctify you. Living like this is going to cause you to die more to yourself daily. You're going to learn to be more self-sacrificial. In a nutshell, it's going to cause you to be more and more like your master. And God is going to do everything he can or anything he can to conform you more and more to the image of Christ. It's going to cause you to be more like your master, your, your great God, your savior, Jesus Christ. And what can be more fulfilling than that? Then, verse 5 continues, it says, young women are to be kind, just real quick, that they would do all things, that young women would seek to do all things with a heart of thanksgiving. The word says, do everything with thanksgiving, for this is the will of God concerning you in Christ Jesus. Being kind, I think, includes having a gentle and quiet spirit fighting the, the temptations to become, probably become irritable again at what I call the mundane tasks of life. To be good-natured and, and character. I think all these things fit in being kind as we grow in Christ's likeness and having the fruit of the Spirit, we will be more kind. That goes for all of us. And finally, probably equally as controversial 
to be women being workers at home, it says they're to be kind and then submissive to their own husbands. Submissive to their own husbands. The word here is, I'm probably going to butcher it, but it's hupotasso. And it means that wives are to willingly place themselves under the authority or headship of her husband. But it in no way implies at all that a wife is inferior to her husband. In fact, what built, in, built into the word is equality, that there is equal value. But God does have an order. If Paul wanted to, to say that wives are inferior to their husbands, he would have used the word, I believe it's pronounced, I can't even find it in my notes now, but hupaku, I think it is. But that's the word he uses for children who, obey, to, who are to obey their parents, as we see in Ephesians 6. But again, husbands and wives are, are equal in value, but we have different roles. We have different roles, and within God's order, he has called wives to submit to their husbands. And we see this beautiful picture laid out in Ephesians 5. We visited that earlier. But verse 22, verse 22 says, Wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord. Submit to your husband as to the Lord. So as an act of service to the Lord, wives, submit to your husband. Why? For the husband is the head of the wife, and we have this great analogy here. We have this great analogy. It says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. So again, we have this wonderful picture of the gospel where marriage is compared to the gospel itself. Women, I mean, wives are to submit to their husbands, just as the church submits to Christ. And then it continues in verse four, verse 24, it says in everything. And of course, that would not include anything that is that is sinful. But also, I want to make clear that there's no stipulation. It does not say wives submit to your husband if your husband is, is loving or if your husband is, is doing all the things that he's supposed to. No, it says wives submit to your husband. And it's the same, it gives the same for the, for the husband. In fact, I would say it, the husband has a more rigorous task, if that's the right word, but, because for the next seven or eight verses, Paul is telling Husbands, that they are to die for their wife. They are to die for their wife. And it doesn't matter if she submits or not. Christ didn't wait for the church to love him. He first loved the church. And then the church responds. It should be the same way. Again, like I said, wives that are submit to their husbands, that is what God has called wives to do. But, but, Husbands are to love their wives, and then that's the model. That's how it's supposed to look like, because it's a model of the gospel. Then wives respond in love to their husbands. But again, as with some of the other things we taught, wives or young women, you might be asking, 
What, what if he's not seeking to love me as Christ loves the church? How do I submit to him? And scripture is so wonderful because it interprets scripture. It has an answer for everything. 1 Peter 3, 1 provides that answer. It says, likewise, wives, be subject or submit, same word, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, this could be an unbelieving husband, this could be a husband that is saved but is not, but is not following the word of God, he's in some disobedience. But it says that even if they, sorry, I lost my spot. That, oh yeah, so even if some do not obey the word, they may be one, what? Without a word, without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct. So it's not telling wives that they're to win their husbands by arguing with them or by acting as the, the fourth person of the Trinity and trying to change them, but as their pure conduct. They live well before their husbands. And wives, older, older and younger women, the Lord sees it, and the Lord will reward you. The Lord does see this. But husbands, those aspiring to be husbands, I know this. I know this text is not about you, but I still think it's wise to add some of these things. But I think it's important to say, that, and of course, I'm not accusing anybody in here of this, but it does happen. Husbands, don't don't take advantage, or don't use these verses as an opportunity to take advantage of a godly wife, a wife that is submitting well, a wife that seeking to love you and honor God in, in every way. Husbands aren't dictators. They're, they're not ruling their, their wife. All that, uh, I don't want to get upset, but <laughs> anyway. But instead, what are husbands to do? Husbands are to serve, to serve. Serve your wife. Serve your wife. And again, remember, the church responds to the love that Christ has for us. So model that. Model that, that example. For older women, these are the things that you are to teach the younger women. And then younger women, you're to be eager to learn. You're, gonna be, you're to be eager to learn these things that are taught. And why? Why? We touched on this a bit last week. But the end of verse 5 said, the word of God. That the word of God may not be reviled. So that the word of God may not be reviled. So that... When the world sees you, they see you living according to sound doctrine. That what, you come, that what comes out of your mouth is followed by the way that you live. When the world looks at you, make sure they see a beacon of the gospel. When they ask, how are you able to live so different? How are you able to live so different than, than, than the rest of society? And how are you able to do it with joy? You can answer them. You can say, my Savior gave his life for me, so in return, I live my life for him. I live my life for him. Do you know him? Do you know him? The one who lived, the one who bled, the one who died, the one who rose again, the one who is coming back for his bride. Do you know him? 
You can tell them they need to repent and put their trust in, in Christ so then they may know what it means to follow the commands of Christ with joy. We're living all these. This is the way we are supposed to live in the church. And again, it is a testimony to the unbelieving world. To the unbelieving world. At the end of verse 10, we've been reading it each week. So that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. This is all a witness, a witness for the gospel. I'll close with this. I'll close with this. Older women, younger women, Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has given you a charge. Respond to it with joy. Respond with joy. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for its truth. I thank you for teaching us this morning. I, I, I pray that what you wanted to be spoken was spoken, that it It fell on the ears and hearts of your people. Lord, I pray that anyone that does not know you, that they heard the word of God this morning, that they will begin to think about these things and begin to ponder the upside world that they live in and and see that everything the scriptures teach is the exact opposite of what they believe is true, that it will begin to to tug at their hearts and to begin to wrestle with these things and that your spirit will come upon them, changing them from the inside out, that they may repent and believe the gospel. Lord, let this have been an encouragement to your people, not a burden in any way. If any conviction needed to occur, then let it have happened. But Lord, that there will be encouragement, that there will be delight, that there will be joy and what your word has to say, and that we will all go out attempting to live it to the best of our abilities, faithfully trusting you and your word. We pray all this in the name of your son. Amen. Now let us prepare our hearts for our closing song.
Um, as a reminder, anyone who is a member, we please ask that you stay after the service as we are going to, to vote on the budget. And if I can find the benediction, it's up there somewhere. I should remember. First, our benediction is coming from 1 Thessalonians. 523 and 24 from the New American Standard Bible. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful, faithful is he who calls you, and he will also do it. Amen. <laughs> 